So our reading is taken from Psalm 140, and you can find that on page 629. That's 629 of the Church Bibles. Psalm 140. For the director of music, a psalm of David. Rescue me, Lord, from evildoers. Protect me from the violent who devise evil plans in their hearts and stir up war every day. They make their tongues as sharp as a serpent's. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Keep me safe, Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Protect me from the violent who devise ways to trip my feet. The arrogant have hidden a snare for me. They have spread out the cords of their net and have set traps for me along my path. I say to the Lord, you are my God. Hear, Lord, my cry for mercy. Sovereign Lord, my strong deliverer, you shield my head in the day of battle. Do not grant the wicked their desires, Lord. Do not let their plans succeed. Those who surround me proudly rear their heads. May the mischief of their lips engulf them. May burning coals fall on them. May they be thrown into the fire, into miry pits never to rise. May slanderers not be established in the land. May disaster hunt down the violent. I know that the Lord secures justice for the poor and upholds the cause of the needy. Surely the righteous will praise your name and the upright will live in your presence. Wonderful. And well, before we begin, I forgot on the clicker, Catherine, so if you're right clicking through, I don't know what I've done with it, it'll probably turn up at some point. Actually, oh wait, it's in this pocket. There we go. That wasn't planned. That was actually real. Sorry about that. Uh, let's pray so I can actually uh, focus a bit. Um, Lord, we have just sung um, some amazing truths that your word is certain. Lord, we live in a world of uncertainty. That your word is sure. That your word gives life. And Lord, we pray that that would be true for us as a church this evening. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, we're going through uh, this bit of the Psalms as we're thinking about um, all kinds of things this Lent. We're thinking about our emotions. We're thinking about what is God like. How do we understand how we, uh, how we process our emotions in the light of uh, wanting to live lives uh, for God? And uh, what we're going to be thinking about this evening is about our confidence. Our confidence. I'm wondering, uh, if you're honest with yourself, don't worry, you don't need to put your hand up, but how confident you are feeling In this moment of your life, how confident are you feeling? On on a scale from 1 to 10, 1 being no confidence whatsoever and 10 being like brimming, overflowing with loads of confidence. Perhaps you feel more like you're that that 1, 2 bit. You're feeling pretty, pretty lacking in confidence. That might be because of some of the present circumstances that you're facing. It might be because of things like coronavirus. You feel exposed, you feel vulnerable. But maybe it's other things. Maybe it's just people putting you down at school or at work 
or even in the family home. Maybe it is because of something like bad health. Perhaps you're just feeling a bit like a failure and your confidence is pretty low. Or you might be feeling pretty confident. You might be one of the nines, one of the tens, that you're feeling, actually, life is good at the moment. I'm doing well in exams. I don't have coronavirus, which is good. Coursework is going all right. I've received a raise. I feel confident in my work. I'm enjoying good health. Life seems to be going all right. Probably the truth is, for most of us, we're probably somewhere in the middle. And we go up or down often because of our circumstances. They can govern how confident we feel in areas of life. And that's particularly true when when trials come against us and our faith gets tested. Maybe that's internal doubts. Maybe that's the pressure of others. Maybe it's earthquake moments in the world around us. Well, the problem is we all face those earthquake moments in life that undermine our confidence. We might lose a job. Our partner might walk out on us or we might just be growing old. When that happens, I think for a lot of us, there are two errors that we can make. The first one is that we kind of just just mask it over with this false confidence. We just get on and say, yeah, yeah, everything's all right. And we like to shift or, or, or make excuses um, or distract people. I know one of the things that I like to do if I'm feeling like I'm lacking confidence, maybe in a new situation, is, is I like to make light of it, make jokes, be, be laughed at. It feels like I'm, I've, I've got the control back then if I'm feeling like I'm lacking confidence. Or we might just let that lack of confidence break us. And the world becomes this big, scary place The confidence that got us through in those earlier periods of life is no longer there to support us. But this psalm says there is another way. What David models in this psalm, what David is doing in pouring out his his soul before the Lord is actually very, very attractive. Because it's a confidence that doesn't shift based on his circumstances. What we see in Psalm 140 is King David, who has this humble and life-changing confidence in his God. And that's what we want to grow in. We want to grow in confidence of this God. The God, the one and only who has the power to save and to protect. But before we think about growing our confidence, what David demonstrates what happens in his experience as it starts not with actually growing his confidence straight away but actually allowing God to strip away the false confidence in his life. How does he do that? By showing David his neediness, his helplessness before God. He does that in two ways in verses 1 to 5. Firstly, he does that by crying out in this place of helplessness, just like this, this, this turtle is stuck on his back, he can't save himself. So verses 1 to 3, David cries out for immediate help. Don't worry, no tortoises were harmed in the making of this PowerPoint. <laughs> so verses 1 to 3, David cries out to the Lord, Rescue me, Lord, from evildoers. Protect me from the violent who devise evil plans in their hearts and stir up war every day. They make their tongues as sharp as a serpent's. The poison of vipers is on their 
lips. Now, David starts off by saying, rescue me, help me. The Hebrew word that he's using is haletze, which is this idea of immediate help. Help right now, right this second. Save me, rescue me. Before David tells us what the problem is, he cries out to God to rescue him. It's a little bit like a a child crying out, Daddy or Mummy. And then you respond, what is it? But they know the first thing they've got to do is just call out for their parent's name and they hope that their parent will come running. Then you realise it's something that they could have sorted out themselves. But there's that dependence. They cry out for Daddy, for Mummy. When they get into trouble, a child instinctively calls out for their parents. Yet as they grow older, they tend to lose that reliance. Maybe because their their confidence grows and they, they think that they can do this, they can cope by themselves. But David has that daddy relationship with his heavenly father. Which is amazing because David is the king. He is the king of Israel. He, out of anyone in the land, should be the most confident in and of himself. His his status, his position, the amazing things that he has done. But he has still not outgrown his reliance on his heavenly father. David needs immediate rescue from the people who want to hurt him right now. We see that in the descriptions of verse 2 and 3. People who are stirring up war every day. People who have got his harm on their minds. People who want to hurt him right now. And we're not so different. Because all of us need rescuing from time to time. We get in over our head. We mess things up. We sin. We hurt people. But not only do we need rescuing in the the everyday, but the Bible says we need rescuing in a far greater way. Romans 3.23 says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all fallen short of God's standard, each and every one of us, no matter how hard we try not to. If we want to have this right kind of confidence, let's call it God confidence. Well, actually it starts by recognising that the evildoers aren't just out there but they're also in here as well. And because of this, we all need rescuing. But hang on. Surely this isn't a great message if we want to think about how we grow our confidence. It doesn't sound like a morale boost. It doesn't sound very positive at the moment. Telling us that we've all sinned. Telling us that we've all done stuff that needs to be forgiven. That on our own, actually, we face punishment for our sin. And that we need to be forgiven. Well, that wouldn't be good for our confidence if that's where the story finishes. But it doesn't. But God does want us to know how desperately we need rescuing. So that we would gladly accept that rescue that he's offering through Jesus. We're not very good at doing it though. You imagine there are, there are two men out at sea and the ship that they were on has, has sunk and they get into this little life raft thing. 
And then on the horizon, one of the guys spots that there is this big lifeboat coming past and they have got a flare gun with one flare in it. He grabs the flare gun to go and shoot it to to let this lifeboat know that they are stranded there. But the other man wrestles it off him. No, 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 he says, I want to use that flare gun in case there are any sharks that start swimming around us to protect us. When the rescue, the help that they need, the saving they need is right there on the horizon. All they need to do is shout out for it. As opposed to try and save themselves from whatever danger they might get in. You see, the truth is that we'd rather try and invent our own way of being rescued than just call out and accept the rescue that God offers. But God confidence starts from recognising, or maybe for some of us, re-recognising our need to cry out for rescue now, today. Because today is the day of our salvation. If you haven't done that today... Well, then maybe today is a good day to do that. Recognize your helplessness as we cry out for immediate help. But David also shows that we are to recognize our helplessness by crying out for ongoing safety. Verses four and five. He says, keep me safe, Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Protect me from the violent who devise ways to trip my feet. Now, David uses different words here that underlie different meaning. He realises his need for his help for the long term as well as his need for rescue today. Now, tinsere and shaure are the words he uses, which means this idea of ongoing protection, of, of keeping watch, keeping guard. It's like you are, you are in, in a castle and you've got these ramparts on the outside of the castle. And you have the soldier on duty throughout the day and throughout the night. And he is keeping watch over the ramparts to see if any enemy forces are coming towards the castle. That is what David is crying out for God to do. To keep watch, to protect him, to keep guard of him. And it's serious business. Because David's enemies mean business. They want to trip him up. They, they've hidden a snare. They want to trap him. They want to catch him out. That may not be today, but at some point in the future. Now, again, this doesn't sound like a guy overflowing with confidence, does it? But David is able to cry out to God for protection from his anxieties. And as I think about this passage, well, we... We imagine that these anxieties are are real. We know that David faced all sorts of threats to his kingship and, and before he was king from King Saul, all sorts of threats to his livelihood as well. But we do wonder, how real are these threats? I mean, is David just kind of making a big point out of nothing? Well, probably not. But it's the same for our life. We, we imagine all kind of fears and all kind of earthquake moments that might come against us. And some of those things may be genuine and true things that we're fearful of happening. But some of them actually, and probably most of them, will never happen. But does that matter? Because it still feels very real to us in those moments of anxiety and fear. But even in those, real or or imagined, David is still able to to cry out to God for protection from his fears, both for today and in the future. And that's where this God confidence comes from. It's by recognising 
our helplessness. And when we realise that, that without God we are truly helpless today and forever, well then we start looking for the true God confidence and where that can be found. So we've recognised our helplessness. Well now we can start thinking about how we can have confidence in God. You see, when we realise that we can't find true and lasting confidence in and of ourselves alone because we are helpless, then we look to have confidence in the one place where it can be found. And that is in God. And firstly, as David says, that confidence is found in who God is. In who God is. Verse 6. David says, I say to the Lord, you are my God. Hear, Lord, my cry for mercy. David has confidence in God because of who God is. David says, I can have confidence in you, God, because you are Yahweh. You are the covenant God of my forefathers. You are the one who created us. You are the one who made a plan to save us. You are the one who brought good out of evil. You are the one who rescued us out of slavery. You are the one who has brought us into the promised land. And you are the one who has put your king on the throne. And on top of all that, you are my God. David's knowledge of God isn't just confined to what he knows about him in his head. But it's also demonstrated in how he relates to him personally from his heart. Isn't it amazing then? In spite of all these threats that David faced, both in the present and in the future, he is still able to speak into them with the truth of who he knows God to be. Do you know what's even more amazing? We know even more than him. Because we live this side of the cross. Because we see in Jesus' life that God took on flesh and he stepped into his world. We see in Jesus that God had compassion on the poor and the sick. We see in Jesus that God was reconciling the world to himself through the death of his son on the cross. And in Jesus, we even see that death has been defeated. As amazing as David's knowledge of who God is, we have even more to go on. The question is, do you know him as your God? Really know him? Because that's where true and lasting confidence starts. Confidence in who this God is. And secondly, it's found in what this God can do. Verse 7. David says, Sovereign Lord, my strong deliverer, you shield my head in the day of battle. Now some of us in our um, Lent course this week, we were looking at this famous passage in 1 Samuel 17. uh, With David battling against the giant Goliath. And well... If you weren't there, I hate to give away the ending, but David wins. But not because of his power or his might, not even because of his confidence, but because of God. Because God ultimately is fighting for him. 
David has experienced God shielding him in the day of battle. David's confidence in God is that when the arrows start flying up in the air and coming back down to earth, God is there like a shield above him, taking each arrow so that David, underneath his protection, is kept safe. But it's worthwhile saying that for us today, God doesn't promise us an easy life. It wasn't an easy life for King David. And God certainly doesn't promise that Christians will be kept safe from physical harm. We've just been praying about Christians in the persecuted church. But what God does promise is that nothing, nothing in all of creation, no kind of earthquake moment can separate us from his love. That love of God in Jesus Christ. Romans 8. So we have confidence in what God can do. That when you step out into the world feeling all vulnerable and scared, nothing will be able to ultimately harm you. Because your father will not allow it. But on the flip side, don't be surprised if he allows hard times to come. And in that, he may well be chipping away at some of those false layers of confidence that we tend to build up. So have confidence in who God is, in what he can do. But David also says, have confidence in what God hates. Verses 8 to 11. Look at David's prayer. He says, Do not grant the wicked their desires, Lord. Do not let their plan succeed. Those who surround me proudly rear their heads. May the mischief of their lips engulf them. May burning coals fall on them. May they be thrown into the fire, into miry pits never to rise. May slanderers not be established in the land. May disaster hunt down the violence. David calls on God that he would not Permit the desires of those who scheme evil to be played out. And still today, 3,000 years later, people are still scheming harmful plans. Whether that's taking advantage and, and harming women to make money through the pornography business whether that's uh, using uh, terrible interest rates on payday loans to exploit the needy, whether that's deceiving people through the media as a way to gain power, people are still scheming evil. And David says, would it not be so under your rule, Lord? David says, I have confidence, God, that you hate these things. And I pray that you would not allow them to happen. You see, part of living in a broken world then is having this kind of confidence in God that he does actually hate evil and injustice and sin. Because God would not be a loving God if he turned his eyes from those kind of things. David knew that. We must know it too. So David's model that that we have here of this kind of growing confidence in God, this God confidence we should be seeing in our lives as well. And one thing that should be coming out of this, this renewed God confidence is actually that it affects our prayer life 
and that we start praying big. Two ways David encourages them to pray big that we see at the end of Psalm 140. And bearing in mind all of this pressure that's coming against him, all these earthquake moments, he still counsels us to pray big. Verse 12. I know that the Lord secures justice for the poor and upholds the cause of the needy. I know that God does these things. So we are to pray big. And firstly, we're to do that by praying in line with God's big character. Despite all of the pressures, all of the suffering, all of the scheming, all of the sin, David's confidence in God knows that he secures justice and upholds the weak. But why injustice, especially for the poor? Well, it's because in David's day, as it is today, it's the poor who often do not have a way to defend themselves in court. It's the poor who can easily be taken advantage of because they don't have those positions of influence. But that's okay. Because David is saying that God is on their side. Jesus said in his Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is saying is that those who recognise their spiritual poverty and their helplessness will be the ones who, on that final day, will receive the benefits of God's perfect justice. But does that mean that that all of the poor people are okay and all of the rich ones are doomed? No, of course not. But Jesus did say how hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So while it's not automatic, of course, it may well be that for those with no material poverty, that they don't find it such a stretch to see their spiritual poverty too like for the 100 million street children in the world today, it's probably not a stretch for them to see their spiritual poverty and their need for a God who loves them. David said it's the same with the needy or the helpless. I wonder, are our prayers characterised by praying in line with God's big character? David says they need to be. We need to be praying those kind of prayers and we need to be prepared for God to use us in answering those prayers too. Because as the church, we are his body here on earth. Now this is where it gets personal for us perhaps. Because one of the ways that God answers these kind of prayers for justice and upholding the cause of the needy is through his church through things like food banks and through off the fence and through Christian concern and through Christian lawyers and judges and financial advisors and all of us as we pray big in line with God's big character. But secondly, we pray in line with God's big plans. Verse 13, David says, Surely the righteous will praise your name and the upright will live in your presence. Whatever the outcome of those who scheme evil for personal gain, Lord, you decide. But those whose confidence is bound in you will let them enjoy the splendour of heaven. 
David says, whatever the outcome of my enemies, whether they repent or not, I know that the eternity of the righteous is bound up in the eternal praise of heaven. So for all of us who are, who are clothed in Christ's perfect righteousness, which we simply receive through faith, that we have confidence greater, confidence greater than anything the world can offer. What amazing confidence we have. Because we have the confidence of heaven. David says that those who are victorious have a glorious future waiting for them. I wonder, do you see then how much greater this is than any confidence we could muster up for ourselves? This is a confidence bound up, not in ourselves, but in Christ and who he is, and in what he has done for us, and for the hope that he has given each one of us. So we pray big in line with God's big plans to bring the good news of Jesus to the world, to see the kingdom of God in power, in Brighton and Hove, in this world. Those who are victorious have a glorious future waiting for them. I ask you then, if that is yours, if you believe that this is yours, well then grow in that confidence. Let that confidence define you, not whatever situations or whatever earthquake moments come to you. Repeat it to yourself if you have to, that that Christ is your confidence. Get it tattooed on your arm if you have to, that Christ is your confidence. I wonder if I'll see any tattoos next week. That's exciting. And if that confidence isn't yours yet, but you want it to be, then all you have to do is ask. Exchange your false confidence for the confidence that comes uniquely from Christ because he gave his life for you so that we might have confidence in him that whatever comes against us, that we can still pray big and have confidence in him alone. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to start by recognising that without you we are helpless. We need immediate help, we need saving. But we also need ongoing help and safety too. Lord, help us to see our neediness before you so that we might have confidence in and through Christ, in who he is, in what he has done, and in, Lord, in what you hate as well. And, Lord, would that shape us, give us a new confidence, and especially in our prayer life, that we would be praying big prayers in line with your character and what you plan for your world, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.